morning, church. It is so good to see all of you in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen? Amen. And I want to give a shout out to those that may be visiting with us for the first time today or listening in online today. Uh, we're so glad that you're with us today. I look out and there's two, uh, or actually three special friends of mine here. Artem and Oli are here with Joanna, our friends from the Ukraine. And... Uh, well, thank you all for joining us in worship. They've become dear friends of ours, and I'm so grateful for them and so grateful for each and every one of you. And I want you to know that if this is your first time here, not only are you welcome, but so are your questions. So are your questions, because none of us have all the answers, do we? We're here in presence of God Almighty, the one that, who not only has the answers, but he is the answer. The way, the truth, and life. That is who we seek to follow, and that's who we commit to, to follow as a church here at The Way, where we're committed to what? Sharing in hope, living with purpose for the sake of others. So many of y'all are already aware of this. You've been talking about it already, but Thanksgiving is how many days away? 11 days. It's 11 days away. It's hard to imagine, but we are 11 days away from what is truly a beautiful holiday. It's a time when we gather with family. We gather with friends. We have a big feast. Some of us eat too much, but we gather to celebrate and to give God praise for all the many blessings in our life, don't we? And now imagine some of y'all aspire for that gathering, whether it's with friends or family, to look something like this. This is Norman Rockwell's picturesque Thanksgiving. It's serene. It's tranquil. Isn't that what you want? But I imagine that most of our gatherings will look a little more like this. Clark Griswold and the Christmas Vacation. And if you haven't seen that movie, you need to watch it. Because that's perhaps more like what most of our gatherings are like. This is an extremely dysfunctional and hilarious family. And the truth of the matter is, is that we all wish our lives perhaps were a little bit more like the serene and tranquil of Norman Rockwell, but even Norman Rockwell didn't live the life that he painted. The paintings, the pictures that he depicts in all of his artwork of what he wished he had had, because he grew up in a life much different than what he painted. He grew up in a very hard and upright upbringing, and it was a difficult life for him, and he wanted to portray something different. And the truth is, don't we do the same thing today? What do you post on social media? What are you going to post at Thanksgiving? You're going to post the pretty pictures, the happy pictures. We're not a whole lot like, unlike Norman Rockwell, are we? Because the truth of the matter is, is that we all have a little bit of dysfunction in our families. If we're honest, as we enter into this season of the holidays, of Thanksgiving and Christmas, as we enter into this season of gratitude... The truth of the matter is, is that we enter into it with great joy, right? But also with a little bit of apprehension. Because extended family can be a little crazy sometimes. It can be hard. It can be difficult in our lives. We never know whether that, that crotchety aunt or that cranky uncle or cousin Eddie is going to show up at our meal, right? Y'all got to watch the movie if you haven't seen it. So what are we to do with this? What are we to do with this idea of gratitude in the midst of the chaos of our lives? Can we, and this is a question I want us to reflect on today, is can we truly find gratitude in the midst of the dysfunction 
that we experience sometimes even in our own family. And if you think that you're immune to this, think again, because let me give you the definition of a dysfunctional family. You ready for this? A dysfunctional family is a family with more than one person in it. So we're all dysfunctional, right? We all have a little bit of chaos in our lives and in our families, so we're not immune to this. It doesn't matter whether it's someone close to home or whether it's someone that mom or dad have been telling you about for years in a distant family or even in in a family like this, a church family. We're a little bit dysfunctional at times. Can we be honest? There's brokenness and brittleness even in the midst of an extended family, a church family. So I ask you again, can we find gratitude... In the midst of the dysfunction of our life, in the midst of the brokenness that we might even experience in our own families. Can we? I believe that not only we can, but we're called to. That we're empowered to. That those of us that believe in Jesus Christ and have embraced a life with Christ, we're empowered to find gratitude even in the midst of the dysfunction. Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, Rejoice always. Pray continuously. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. He didn't say for all circumstances. He said in all circumstances. Even in the midst of the strain, even in the midst of the strife, even in the midst of the craziness, faith in Christ empowers us to dig deeper to find a gratitude that goes beyond what we experience. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about gratitude. In fact, there's a Hebrew word throughout all of the Old Testament that speaks to this idea of gratitude. It's this, hikarat hatov. Can you say that with me? Hikarat hatov. Hikarat hatov means recognizing the good. Now, I don't know about you, but it's easy to recognize the good when the good is going well, right? When things are going well for you. But are you able to recognize the good when things aren't so well? When things are troubling you? Better yet, how do we recognize the good in the midst of the strife of our life? Well, I think this is what I want us to look at today is we open up a couple weeks of reflecting on gratitude. Today, we're going to talk about dysfunction and family life. Next week, we're going to explore gratitude in the midst of suffering. And we all are not immune to that either. But to dig into this, I want you to turn with me to God's word found in Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, Genesis 37. And it's the story of Joseph. This is just an excerpt of his life. And I'm going to read for us verse 1 through 11. But if you have a Bible handy or a Bible app handy, I encourage you to keep it out as we read along, as we meditate on God's word. Beginning in verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were 
binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said. I had another dream, and and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me this morning? Almighty God, I thank you for having already moved in our midst this morning. You spurred us on to get up to a new day, a gift that we didn't deserve, but you granted to us anyway. And Lord, I thank you for the ability to be here in this presence, to to be in your presence, and to be among others seeking after you. So God, whatever questions we have, whatever longing of our hearts we have, God, I pray that we bring all of ourselves to all of you today as we meditate upon your word. And I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. And the church said, amen, amen. Amen. You know, I, I think as much as we might think of our own family as having a dysfunctional aspect to it joseph's family takes a cake joseph's family is like the epitome of a messed up whacked up crazy family if there ever was one and what we read today is just simply a snapshot into the life of joseph and, and i suspect his family gatherings looked a lot more like the griswolds that we just saw earlier, or maybe the clumps if you like nutty professor or the McAllisters and home alone or Fill in the blank, because have you ever paused to think holiday meeting movies, they have a common theme, don't they? They like to shine a light on the craziness of our family life, don't they? And no less, I, I, I know this is Joseph's life. Now, Joseph, get this, he was 11th of 12 sons, not counting all the, the, the daughters that were born to, to Jacob, but 12 sons. So can you imagine the holy chaos when that family got together for a family meal, you think there were leftovers? There weren't any leftovers. I can't imagine them having any leftovers there. And what we notice is that Joseph had a knack, it appears, to adding insult to injury when it comes to sibling rivalry. I mean, if you're going to have 11 brothers, he had 10 at the time when he was a young boy, there's going to be a rivalry. Can I get amen? Any of y'all got brothers or sisters in the house? There's going to be a rivalry, Right? And he had a way of adding insult to that because he was a dreamer on top of being a tattleteller. He, he had already gone and told dad about his brothers and, and, and we find this and him ratting out to his dad, his brothers in verse 37 too. But he goes on to, to unpack his dreams. But in the midst of this, here's the interesting thing. His father Israel, Jacob and Israel are one and the same person we find loves Joseph more than the other brothers. And he plays a little bit of favoritism. 
Now, how many of y'all like favoritism when it comes to your parents? You do if you're the favorite child, right? <laughs> but if you're not the favorite child, well, if you're an only child, it's great, right, Sonny? <laughs> you're not an only child, right? But you feel like it sometimes. Your older brother's out of the house. But most of us, if you have a sibling, you, you don't like that favoritism unless you're the favorite child. And in this case, his brothers were told hated him. Hated him. That's a hard word. That's a strong word. And, and, and Jacob adds insult to this by making this beautiful robe for Joseph to wear. And so there's a deep animosity between them. And as I mentioned, he, we're told that he's hated by his brothers so much so that they couldn't speak a word to him. Any of y'all ever been in a place where you're just fuming mad and you don't have words? I've been there. Am I the only one? This, this is the story. This is Joseph's reality. He had a fuel to their angst toward him by sharing his dreams, one in which they, later in life, as foretold, would bow down to Joseph. And here's the interesting thing. There's a recurring phrase in this unfolding of a dream. With each dream, we're told that they hated him all the more. Verse 37, 5 and verse 37, 8. They hated him all the more. And as he shares a second dream, his father's even taken a bit back by this idea that he would bow down to his son. And the brothers are filled with jealousy. And this jealousy one day would get the better of his brothers. If y'all know the story of Joseph, you know that one day they're out tending the flocks and they see him off in a distance coming and they conspire to murder Joseph, to, to put his life to an end. And had it not been for Reuben, the oldest brother, questioning their wisdom, he would have been all but dead that day. And so instead of killing him, they decide to, to sell him off into slavery, to make a buck, if you will, and, and, and to take his robe, to tear it up, to put animal blood on it, and then go back home and convince their father that somehow maybe wild animals had gotten a hold of him on his way to find them. And the crazy thing is, is that if they were looking for that being a way in which their father's affection would be redirected to them, well, it backfired miserably for them. Because from that day forward, we see Jacob down and out in, in despair because of the loss of Joseph. Joseph had gone from the favored son to a slave in Egypt. He'd end up serving in Potiphar's house, a very notable, noble person in, in that day, only to have the wife of Potiphar falsely accuse him of sexual misconduct and that would leave him unfairly in prison. Now you see what unfolds in Joseph's life is really nothing new for this family. If you see dysfunction ran in their blood. If you trace Joseph's lineage all the way back to the first sibling rivalry, do y'all remember that one? Cain and Abel. And it didn't end too well for Cain. And if you follow from Cain and Abel all the way through, you find Abraham. Abraham plays favoritism, doesn't he? He favors Isaac over Ishmael. And Isaac, in return, favors Esau over Jacob, doesn't he? And, and so here you have the sibling rivalry between Jacob and Esau. And you've got parent rivalry because Rebekah favors Jacob. Abraham favors, or Isaac favors Esau. You talk about dysfunction feeding dysfunction. This is one dysfunctional family. 
I mean, there's just a trail of tears from one generation and after, after the other, after the other, after the other in this life. And you can't help but wonder, did Joseph's siblings learn that art of deception? You know, killing of, uh, making it look like Joseph had been put to death and, and the tearing of the robe. Did they not learn that from their father, Jacob? Because it was Jacob that was convinced by his mother to put on wool and go in and, and deceive his own father for the birthright, for the blessing being handed down in the family it was bestowed for the oldest son in the family. Needless to say, this dysfunction, this family, it runs deep. It runs back generations. And maybe for your family too. Maybe what you walk through today, maybe in part of what you're experiencing today, is not something new in your family. It too goes back generations. So fast forward with me back in this story and this generational fa- dysfunction of favoritism, of sibling rivalry, and the deception has resulted in Joseph going from the favored son at 17 to being sold, enslaved, and imprisoned for the better part of 21 years. Can you imagine what Joseph must have been thinking for those years that he was in prison? replaying in his head maybe you've replayed in your head how did i get here you ever ask that question in your own family life how did i get here better yet how can i find gratitude how could joseph find gratitude in the midst of what's been done to him he's been lied about he's been sold he's been imprisoned how in the world could he find gratitude in the midst of this season of his life I can't help but think that he wasn't just replaying what has happened. But he's been replaying in his mind what he will do if he ever finds himself out of this mess. Any of you find yourself there today? What will you do if you find yourself on the other end of the mess that you might be experiencing? So how can one find the good in this? How can one hikarat hatov find the good in this? How could someone like Joseph recognize the good in all of this? Recognizing the good came in part by recognizing the presence of God with him through it all. This is where gratitude began for Joseph, recognizing the presence of God with him. If you see enslaved in Potiphar's house, we find, and if you fast forward to chapter 39 of Genesis 39.2, it says, the Lord was with him. And if you fast forward again and toward the later part of chapter 39, when he's imprisoned, we find again that the Lord was with him. Verse 39, 21. You see, there's a consistent message in the life of Joseph that the Lord was with him. And when you look at the broader narrative of God's word, there's a message to you and me also that God is with us. That no matter what you're facing, God is with you. God will never leave you nor forsake you. His word is faithful. He is faithful to his word. And throughout all, he says, I am with you. So whether you're dealing with a strain with spouses or parents, kids, the in-laws or the outlaws, and y'all got outlaws in your house or in your life, know this, know that God is near to you. And for that, I believe that we can find grace and gratitude in the midst of our lives. 
Now, the good news is, if you fast forward in Joseph's life, one day he does get out. He gets out of this mess. The same gift that got him in the mess with his brothers is the same thing, the same gift that would get him out of prison, his dreams and his God-given ability to interpret them. He interprets them for a couple of the servants for the Pharaoh that have been thrown in prison. And one of those, having been released from prison, remembers Joseph when the Pharaoh himself is having a bad dream and can't discern what it means. And so he calls for Joseph, and Joseph would interpret that dream and go from being in prison to the second in command of all of Egypt. And he would lead that country and those people through a historical famine that could have destroyed them all. Ultimately, it's that same famine that would drive his brothers into Egypt looking for food. Only it's been nearly 30 years since he laid eyes on his brothers. Folks, some of y'all are dealing with dysfunction in your family. Some of y'all maybe are dealing with estrangement. Can I get an amen to that? It may be decades of dysfunction, of estrangement. And here we find this family starting to interact after 30 years. If you've given up hope, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. God can do the impossible. And he does in the life of this family. But this first interaction between Joseph and his brothers is a, a perfect chance for Joseph to replay perhaps what he was planning out in his mind to exact revenge. How many of y'all would want revenge after what had been happened to you, right? And you want to sucker punch your brother when he, when he got a good hit in to you, right? I've been there. He could have easily done the same thing. He could have perpetuated the dysfunctional pattern in his family and he nearly did because get this if you look at what joseph does with the interaction with his brothers first he falsely accuses them much like he had been falsely accused in potiphar's house he unjustly imprisons one of them much like he had unjustly been imprisoned and when face to face with his youngest brother the one that was from his own mother He threatens to unfairly enslave him, having been born from the same flesh. Because I got a sidebar for a moment. If you think your your dysfunction is crazy, Jacob had not only two wives, but two concubines by which he has his children. There's not only sibling rivalry, there's woman rivalry in this family. You know, there's a reason that Scripture points toward monogamy as God's best. And if you don't believe me, look to the story in the family of Joseph. I digress, but it's right here. But in the end, although he followed in the same pattern of falsely accusing, unjustly imprisoning, and even tempted to enslave, he changes course. Joseph changes course, and he did so because of the act of yet another brother, Judah. Judah who could have easily sat by and watched what happened, but instead he offered to sacrifice his freedom in exchange for the youngest brother, Benjamin, who was being thrown in prison by Joseph. And this broke Joseph. This was the tipping point. This was the moment that changed everything. The cycle of dysfunction was broken. The generational ruts of deception and rivalry would cease. It would end with Joseph in this family, forever changing the course of this family. Because that's what sacrifice does. It changes lives. It changes families. 
And it can change your family too. You see, Joseph was able to recognize the good. The Hikarat Hatov. Say that with me again. Hikarat Hatov. He was able to recognize the good in all that he had endured. After enduring all the dysfunction in his family that had been placed on him, he was now placed in a position to change the course of his life and that of his family. And he would ultimately bring them into Egypt to allow them to ride out the the famine and they would live in peace together as a family. And it was only upon the death of his father that his brothers began to think, okay, now Joseph's going to fall back in those dysfunctional ruts that have been in our family forever. Now he's going to get back to us because dad's not around to, to see it. But listen to what Joseph said in Genesis 50. Genesis 50, verse 19. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Did God say that it was good? Some of what you've experienced in your own family life, it's not good. It's not good. God intended it for the good. In other words, God's going to do something with it to accomplish what's now being done. And listen to what's now being done. The saving of many lives. You see, Joseph was able to find the good in the midst of the mess of his family. And for that, he and his siblings were forever grateful. Paul would write hundreds of years later to the church in Rome. One of my favorite books. If y'all haven't figured that out yet, I love Romans. We almost went back there with men's group yesterday, but we didn't. Well, she missed out. You're, you're spared. But in Romans eight twenty eight, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things. Not that all things are good, but in all things, God works for the good. God works for good. God can take the mess of your life, the mess of my life, the dysfunction in me, the dysfunction in you, the dysfunction in your family, and turn it into something beautiful. If you allow him to have it and to take it. You see, I find hope in that. I find hope in that. That while there is dysfunction and strained relationships in my extended family and, and sometimes even in my own household, can I get an amen to that, Kristen? Right? I mean, it's... She has to put up with me, right? Even in this church, as a family, there's dysfunction at times. To know that God is with us. God is for us. And that God works for the good in all that we experience. And for that, I am grateful. I'm grateful for how I see God at work in each and every one of you. Even in the midst of the brokenness that you have shared with me, I see God at work. I see God work in my own life. I see God at work in my family. You know, this thing with Judah's sacrificial offer in exchange to exchange his freedom for his brothers is only a precursor of what would come out of this dysfunctional family. For you see, Jesus Christ, the very son of God, was born out of the tribe of Judah, the tribe of sacrifice. And what is it that Jesus took to the cross? He took your dysfunction. He took my dysfunction. He took your sin. He took my sin. He took your brokenness. He took my brokenness. He took our brokenness to the cross. 
and the ultimate sacrifice to give his life so that we might have life and life abundant. Praise be to God. And for that, we can find gratitude even in the midst of the circumstances of our lives, even in the midst of the relationships that we walk through. You see, Joseph recognized the good and it changed the trajectory in his life. Maybe if that's you this day, maybe if you're down in the rut this morning, maybe what you need to do is to come to God and ask God to show you. To show you the good that can come out of it. Not that what you're experiencing is good, but what can come out of it. There are testimonies in this room that have yet to come forward out of the brokenness and the beauty that comes out of healing and wholeness. Can I get an amen to that? So this holiday season, rather than dwell on the dysfunction that you might encounter, perhaps seek the good that God has for you to see in Him and through Him so that you might enter into those relationships, so you might have those gatherings with family, family, friends, whatever it may be, with a heart of gratitude. With a heart of gratitude because of what God's done for you and what God wants to do through you. Can we find the good? Can the Hikarat Hatov live in you and live in me because of Christ? Yes, it can. Let us have gratitude this season. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, I thank you. Thank you for the way that you're at work in our lives, even when we don't recognize it. I thank you for the way that you can redeem the brokenness and the strain and the strife that we experience sometimes in family life. God, we enter into this season of the holidays and it is one in which we we enter with great anticipation. And yet there is anxiety on our hearts too. God, help us not to focus there. And help us not even focus on the cross, but through an empty tomb. To focus on an empty tomb in which you defeated sin and death and you defeated the dysfunction in our lives. God, would you give us the ability to hikarat hatov, to recognize the good. And that good is not found anywhere else but in you. And when we yield our lives, when we put our faith and our trust in you, we invite you to dwell within us so the good in you begins to reflect through our lives. I pray this season, Lord, that we would open ourselves up. God, that we would yield to a further indwelling of your Holy Spirit. Because as Paul said, it is in through the pouring of the Holy Spirit into our hearts that the love that you have for us can flow through us into the relationships around us. May we rejoice always. May we pray continually. And may we give thanks in all circumstances. All because of you. All in response to your love and to your sacrifice for us. And for the other. Whoever that may be. I ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the church said.
Amen. Amen.